Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A little more than uh, 20 years ago, uh, there was a very popular question that was permeating uh, the Christian community across the nation and really around the world. Uh, having started in, of all places, uh, a youth group at a church in Holland, Michigan. And the question is, what would Jesus do? And the abbreviation of that question, WWJD, uh, began to be worn by millions of people on bracelets uh, around uh, their wrists, which are still available and can be seen uh, to this very day, begging a question that actually started more than 100 years before that in a sermon uh, that the British minister Charles Spurgeon once preached in which he raised that question repeatedly throughout his homily. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Although Spurgeon actually got his inspiration uh, from a book entitled The Imitation of Christ, which was written 400 years before that by a man by the name of Thomas Akempis. And so this question has been around for quite some time, uh, at least in one form or another. But uh, when it got going again, thanks to this youth group in Holland, uh, Michigan, uh, there was actually a cartoon uh, that came out that depicted Jesus himself wearing one of those bracelets. Uh, although his bracelet said, what would I do? Of course. And the point, uh, obviously, is that from Thomas Akempis to Charles Spurgeon to Holland, Michigan, and beyond, uh, that question raises one of the most fundamental and important issues that you and I will ever face in our lives, and that is the issue of our decision-making and how it is that we go about making good decisions, or as St. Paul puts it today in that passage from his letter to the Romans, uh, how we might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. But the question for us today is, well then, how exactly do you do that? How do you go about making good decisions in your life? Because uh, while many of the decisions that we make in life are really kind of small and uh, inconsequential, like, you know, what side dish you're going to have with your entree at the uh, restaurant, although I've kept a lot of waiters waiting, you know, as I wrestled with even that decision because I didn't want to end up with the coleslaw. <laughs> Other decisions are hugely important because they have to do with our passions, with our obsessions, with our goals, our dreams, our priorities, our conflicts with the things that we accept and the things that we uh, reject. They have to do with our future and sometimes the future of, of the people around us. And uh, they have to do most importantly of all with our witness, our relationship and our obedience to God. When you are faced, for example, with a vocational decision or a relational decision, or a sexual decision, or a marital decision, or a parental decision, or a financial decision, a decision about how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to use your time, a decision about who you accept, what you reject, or a decision that can have a fundamental impact on your future, as I said, or the future of the people around you, because your decision can signal a major change in what you do, where you do it, and who you do it with. And while some of our decisions 
uh, really are kind of you know slam dunks, no brainers, whatever other metaphor you want to apply to it. Other decisions in life are extremely complicated, and they are far from clear. Do I accept this new job that will advance my career and increase my pay, or do I stay put? Because life is really good right where I am, and I don't want to mess that up. Do I buy the house that I want, or the one that seems to be better for the kids? Do I have this difficult conversation with my friend, or do I just let it go because I'm afraid that I could make things worse at the end of the day? Uh, I have a friend and colleague who just accepted a call uh, to a new congregation after serving in the same church for more than 20 years, and he called it the toughest decision of his whole life. Another put it somewhat differently uh, when he said, uh, my options are enemies of my peace. Never really thought about it that way before, but I know that feeling because in my 37 years as a pastor, uh, I have received calls from eight congregations, said yes to three and no to five. And I can tell you that some of those decisions were pretty clear and others were absolutely agonizing and they kept me up at, at night. The good news for us is that while God may not, you know, audibly speak into your ear or your AirPods telling you to take the job or to turn right at the next light when you don't know whether to go right or left. He doesn't leave us to ourselves in any of this by any means. And so when you've got a decision, a big decision to make in your life about your future, how you live, what you do, where you do it, who you do it with, what you say, what you don't say, today's passage from Paul's letter to the Romans is a pretty good place to start, actually, in which Paul speaks to us, having in this letter, in the first, what we would call 11 chapters, laid out the core teachings of the faith, then in chapter 12, shifts gears, and he says, in effect, well, now this is how you can live your life. This is how you can discern what is the will of God, what is good for you, what is acceptable to him. And in the context of that issue of discerning God's will for your life, he says a few very important things that will set the stage before you even get into the nuts and bolts of your decision making. First of all, he speaks to uh, the people of the Christian church who lived in the culture of first century Rome and also speaks to us in the culture that we live in today. And he says, step number one is to go countercultural. Do not be conformed to this world. That is the world apart from Jesus, but be transformed, uh, which is the Greek word metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind, so that when you have a big decision to make, you're in your right mind. And you're making your decision, you're discerning God's will in the context of your faith. Well, guess what? That's pretty countercultural. It is a shifting of gears in your life because, you know, the world around us and uh, within us is hungry for things like success and achievement and recognition. Believers in Jesus are hungry and thirsty for what? Righteousness or right relationship with God. 
so that setting the stage for good decision-making has to do with being transformed and facing your decision first and foremost in the context of your faith or asking the question, if you'll pardon the expression, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And then the next thing he says, which is related to that, is to approach your decision-making with humility so that you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, in the words of St. Paul. Why? Because, because even though I'm a believer, I still don't know everything. You know, even though I'm a child of God, I'm still a sinner every day. And so often, my decision-making can easily drift into my desires, my obsessions, what's best for me, me, me. And then the, the third thing that he says in the passage is that we need to remember that we don't go about this alone. None of this happens in a vacuum. That we're part of a community. We're the body of Christ. We belong to one another. We are members of one another. And so my decision-making also has an impact on the people who are around me. And that's why it also matters. And, and so when I put all of those thoughts together, you know, what I come up with is kind of a process in my mind for discerning God's will, for decision-making that I want to share as an encouragement to you today. Uh, but first, let me just admit that while I'm using these two words uh, interchangeably, the fact is that decision and discernment are not exactly the same thing. Decision, like incision, has to do with cutting away all the options before you, except for the one that will bring resolution to your question. And so that's why sometimes I will say to a member of our staff, hey, we need to cut a decision on this this week. Discernment has more to do with the process that will lead you to a good decision. Uh, because the word discernment has to do uh, more with distinguishing one thing from another or separating one thing from another, which may in fact lead you to one option and therefore your final decision. But on the other hand, and this is the tricky part, you may still wind up with more than one option on the table. And that's where this process of uh, discernment of what is the will of God kind of gets underway. And the first step in that process, at least for me, is to look at the options in front of me and to ask the question, is there anything here that is clearly contrary to God's will for my life? Well, how do you know that? Well, you know it when you know God's word for your life. Because while the Bible doesn't tell you every single thing, it tells us an awful lot about what God wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do and about some things that are clearly, obviously, flat out opposed to God's will for you and me. And so I've talked about, you know, the guy who came to see me one day long, long time ago, and he told me that God was calling him to leave his wife and marry his girlfriend. And I looked at him and I said, no, he's not. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, you know, with confession and repentance and reconciliation, there can't be forgiveness for that or grace for that. That's another sermon. I'm just saying 
God is not calling you to do that because God does not call us to cheat or to lie or to steal or to do a lot of other things uh, that uh, frankly could wind up on your options list. And so the closer you are in your life to God's word for your life, the more effective you will be at discerning what is the will of God, what is good for you, what is acceptable to him. But what if you do that and there's still more than one option that's, that's left on uh, the table. Well, then for me, the next uh, step in the uh, discernment uh, process has to do with applying what I like to think of as the stewardship question. In other words, I look at the options in front of me and say, which option will enable me to best exercise the gifts that God has given me in my life? Which way could I go on which I could best give glory to God through my life. When our congregation back in the 2000s was deciding on whether or not to relocate our headquarters for ministry, it wasn't like there was a right answer and a wrong answer. The question was, how can we best carry out the mission of Jesus in this world? But once again, the stewardship of question, that's not the world's question. It involves being renewed, being transformed in your mind, whether we're a church together or you're an individual, into a person who actually believes that glorifying God is the highest priority of your life, no matter what else you do. But then if you apply the stewardship uh, question to your decision-making, and still, even after that, there's more than one option that's remaining on the table. There's where Paul reminds us that we're not in this alone. That he's not left us to ourselves. That we are part of a community of people. That we belong to each other. And so then you might also begin to talk to the people in your life. To your family. To your friends, your colleagues. People in the community of faith. People you respect and, and love to see what affirmation, what direction, what counsel they might give to you in that process because Paul says we are members of one another. And so when I heard uh, from that church in Denver that was looking for a new pastor, I went home and I said to Patty, how would you feel about me serving a church in Denver? And she said, I will miss you. It was a sign from above. <laughs> On the other hand, there were times when she said, yeah, I, I can see you there. And if, and if that's how the spirit moves, then we're in. And so our decision-making is not something that happens in a vacuum. The decision that we make affects the people around us, and that matters. But even if you do that, even if you humbly, faithfully test the options in, in your life against the word and the will of God, 
uh, in relationship uh, to the stewardship of God's gifts in your life uh, with the community in which you uh, live. And even after all of that, you still can't come to a final decision. There's still just more than one option that, that's on the table, on the plate at the end of the day. Maybe that means that your options are no longer enemies of your peace. And that there really is no bad decision. And that the God who loves you and who blesses you and who has given you a good mind and a good heart has simply given you the freedom to choose where and how you will give him honor and glory so that you can make peace with whatever you decide once you have discerned. And so there's this really great but rather obscure verse in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament which says, whether you go to the right or you go to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk on it. And so whatever path you may choose, whether you go to the right or you go to the left, if there is a voice behind you and that is the voice of God, that can only mean one thing to me, and that is that God has your back. Whichever way you go, having gone through that process of discerning what is the will of God, what is good for you and acceptable to him because you know, sometimes it's just true that what's most important is not which way we go, what path we take, but how we walk while we're on it. This is the way, walk on it. This is the way, walk on it. And then there's one more uh, feature to this decision-making or discernment process in, in my mind permeates all the others. And that one, of course, is prayer. You know, as you go through this, don't just listen. Don't just talk to each other. Talk to God. You know, pour out your heart to him. I mean, did you hear Jeremiah a couple minutes ago? Man, he let God have it. And God responded to him in grace. When I was discerning my call to come here to St. Andrew, uh, I went over to our former uh, church on Georgia Avenue one afternoon, and I sat by myself in the sanctuary. Actually, I sat on the organ bench up in the balcony, uh, looking across the room at the image of the crucified, risen Christ, which now hangs above us in this sanctuary. And I will tell you, uh, my eyes were not closed, uh, my hands were not folded, my head was not bowed, I was not on my knees. And my prayer was far from elegant as I looked at that image that day and I simply said, what do you want me to do? And what I will tell you is that in response to that prayer, I did not see a burning bush I did not get my answer that day. But I can tell you that the discernment went on step by step by step until finally a decision was made that was far from easy, 
but for which I am very grateful. Uh, the last thing I want to point out uh, to you today, and this is the biggie, and that is that the process uh, that I'm sharing with you today from Paul's letter to the Romans and other places in, in Holy Scripture is a process that is not magic. And frankly, there are times when it doesn't even work all that well. Why? Because I'm a sinner every single day. And that's why, you know, the, the process can easily be flawed, even when we talk uh, to the people in our lives who we uh, love and respect. But what I want you to remember is, as you go out from this uh, this morning, is that we have a Savior who specializes in people who make bad decisions. And he comes to speak to us and to let us know that he has our backs, come what may. He comes to teach us so that we can learn from our decisions, we can grow from our decisions, and so that by uh, the grace uh, of the cross of Christ, the God of second chances can set our feet back on this new path of life. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. So that you and I can once again walk by faith on that path joyfully for the glory of God. And we keep, keep asking that question, what would Jesus do? What does he want me to do for his glory, for his honor and praise, and for a great witness to the world in which we live? God, make us all faithful, dynamic decision makers for the honor and glory of the one who has our backs and is with us always. Amen. I invite you to rise as we confess our faith together.